is. And so I want to praise the Lord for who he is and what he's done. And I want to praise God for the opportunity to get together um, in his word. We've been going through this, uh, this series, Daniel, Faithful Living in a Faithful Land. There's a lot, or sorry, not a faithful land. Faithful Living in a Fallen Land. Whew. Yeah, Daniel was uh, living in the midst of people that didn't share his cultural values, didn't share his moral values. Yet Daniel stood as an example of faithfulness. Uh, We've been looking at the book of Daniel, not its prophetic passages, but at its stories, its narratives, so that we can see how Daniel actually conducted himself as faithful. I think all of us, I think, resonate um, at some level. We all resonate with some some level of cognitive dissonance with our surroundings. Like we have these desires, we have these principles, we hold these things to be true in our hearts, yet not everybody in our sphere of influence holds those things the same way. And so how do we live in a fallen land? How do we live faithfully? How do we keep our heads fixed on heaven? How do we keep obedient to him? That's, that's what we want to explore. That's what we've been exploring the last month or so. And we're going to go now to Daniel chapter 2. Um, if you remember, you know, we've kind of been working our way backwards from Daniel 6, 5, 4, 3, now Daniel 2. Um, so go ahead and find that book with me, Old Testament passage, Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. It's a little bit more than halfway through your Bible. If you get to big names like Jeremiah and Ezekiel, you're almost there. Daniel is right after Ezekiel. We've been kind of taking a look at different things, different aspects of Daniel's life. We saw in Daniel 6 that Daniel's faithful living, it stemmed from his habitual communion with God. In chapter 5 and 4, we saw that faithful living also, it requires this attitude of humility before God and also accountability to God. And then last week, Edre, you walked us through a study of Daniel 3, um, and we, we see how faithful living in my own sphere, in my personal sphere, actually influences other people's ability to live faithfully as well. Um, today, we're going to explore that relational component of faithfulness a little bit more. Um, in a a little different light. But here we are, Daniel chapter 2. If you're there, go ahead and say, I found it. All right. So we're Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, verse 1, it begins with some setting, some, some context. It says, Now, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. Can you guys say Nebuchadnezzar? (laughs) <laughs> Can you say it 10 times fast? No, I'm kidding. Anyway, <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar, ah, man, I don't know. Yeah, I just wouldn't want to trouble my children with that name. But anyways, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, it says. So second year king, relatively new to the empire, relatively new to power. But he says, the, the Bible says Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. All right. Maybe some of us have read this passage before. Maybe some of us have have heard it spoken about. But here's a second year king, kind of fresh to authority. As As a king, I mean... No, long, no matter how long you've been king, you're, you're still kind of concerned about your kingdom, right? But especially as a second-year king, you're really concerned. And so I don't know how, how many nights he actually had good quality sleep, but apparently this was one of those nights where he didn't. Particularly, not just because he was anxious about the kingdom, but particularly because of a dream that troubled him. It says that his spirit was so troubled 
that his, his sleep left him. And in that troubled state of heart, I don't know, what, what are your normal reactions? When you're troubled about something, what are the first things you do? The first people you look to? The first numbers you look up? I don't know. Are, are there people in your mind? For the, for the king, he probably didn't have very many friends, but he did have people that were hired to be his counselors, to be his wise men, to be his uh, soothsayers of sorts. And so he turns to these individuals and he says to them in verse 3, I have had a dream and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. The Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will give the interpretation. Now, the only trouble with the rest of this narrative is that either Nebuchadnezzar forgot the dream or he is so suspicious about the people in his court that he doesn't want to tell them in order to see how genuine they are about their wisdom. Okay? And so, his decision is firm in verse 5. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made an ash heap. Pretty extreme, all right? Um, Okay, I'm sorry. Maybe that's not something to laugh about. This guy is pretty upset about what he's, what he's experiencing, and he wants to know for certain, are there people around me that I can trust to help me figure out my life when I can't figure it out for myself? Right? And so what he does is he gets very firm about it. And today, I, um, you know, the dream, obviously, in this chapter, the dream is the main focus of this chapter. The dream is pretty amazing. God, eventually, essentially, he reveals to a pagan king the future. He reveals the future from Babylon's time all the way to the coming of Jesus' kingdom, which is pretty incredible. And you think about why God would reveal this to a pagan king. Well, probably a couple of reasons. One, to put him in his place. <laughs> you know, Nebuchadnezzar, he wants to establish a kingdom that lasts forever, but the dream that has a kingdom, or the dream actually shows a kingdom that lasts forever, and it's not his. Okay, so maybe there's one, you know, dynamic of God is wanting to reveal to Nebuchadnezzar a humbling uh, episode, so to speak. Hey, Nebuchadnezzar, you're trying to make something that's lasting. You can't do it, but I can. But I would assume that God in his mercy, in his compassion, is not just revealing this just to humble him, but he's actually revealing this to invite him. Do you hear what I mean by that? He's actually revealing this to a pagan king to invite him into a relationship to invite him into the kingdom that actually does last forever it's really powerful i mean just to think that god is actually speaking not just to people who have the word so to speak but god is speaking to people who have no clue what his name is do you realize that god is speaking to to those neighbors that you think are totally off on the far end god is speaking to those co-workers that you think there's no hope for them God is speaking to them. They just may not even know his name to recognize it. And so, again, yeah, the, the dream is a powerful dream. And we're actually not going to, to focus on that. Today, I want us to focus on how this dream and this experience of Nebuchadnezzar affected Daniel and how Daniel handled himself through it all. All right? So here we go. Eventually, as Nebuchadnezzar is um, kind of grappling with these wise men, these soothsayers and things like that, They confessed to him, Nebuchadnezzar, what you're asking us to do in telling you both the dream and its interpretation is impossible. They confessed, uh, this is not humanly possible. Only the gods can do that. 
And so Nebuchadnezzar sends out this decree. Uh, he basically follows through with what he tells them. Hey, I'm going to cut you in pieces and your homes will be turned into ash heaps. And it says in verse 13, just kind of skip on down. Chapter 2, verse 13. So the decree went out and they began killing the wise men. Enter Daniel. And they sought Daniel and his who? His companions. Do you guys remember the companions' names? Yeah, okay. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, okay? They sought Daniel and his companions to kill them, all right? So now now we're focusing here on Daniel. Okay, okay, okay. So now, chapter 2 is not just about a dream. Chapter 2 is about Daniel's life and death situation, all right? Chapter 2 is now about how does Daniel handle himself faithfully when his life is being threatened wrongfully? What does Daniel do? What does Daniel do? It says in verse 14, the very next words, Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree from the king so urgent? Okay, can you just imagine this? I don't know what time of day this was. Probably still early hours in the morning. The king has become upset by his, uh, his unfulfilled requests. There's a knock on the door of Daniel's house. I don't know, maybe his, uh, his uh, three friends share, share a dorm room together or whatever. But there's a knock on their door. Hey guys, I'm here to kill you. And, there, and Daniel's immediate response is with wisdom and counsel. Can you tell me? <laughs> like, can, can you tell me why this is so urgent? I mean, this, is, this is like the utmost example of composure and diplomacy. Um, he's totally not frazzled by all of this. But what I want us to see here is how Daniel, um, yeah, it, <laughs> he just goes on and it says in verse 16, so Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time. He goes in boldly before this king who has just kind of like thrown out these rash orders and decrees. He says, no, I'll talk to him about it. Hey, give me time that he might tell the king the interpretation. And in verse 17, then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his, what's the next word there? Companions, okay. Verse 18, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Can you imagine the sound of that prayer meeting? <laughs> Do you have friends like that that you can pray with? I mean, these are people that, you know, they're, they're troubled with life or death. They're not sure how they're going to work through this, but for some reason they feel confident enough that they can band together and pray. And in response to that in verse 19, then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. I want to just kind of slow down a little bit here. There was a word that was repeated a few times just in those few verses that reveals something to me about Daniel and how he found himself faithful in a fallen land. Uh, I'll read it again, starting in verse 13. So the decree went out. They began killing the wise men, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Down in verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Did you catch it? 
There's a repeated dynamic there. Daniel is not alone. Daniel, faithful Daniel, who stood alone in the lion's den, you know, who stood alone approaching the king in chapter 5 and in chapter 4, Daniel is with his companions. And I like the word that the Bible uses for this. These friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these were not just people that Daniel kind of ended up in Babylon with. Like he was not just in proximity around Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These were apparently his companions, the Bible says. Now, interestingly enough, this portion of scripture is written in Aramaic, but the word for companions is related to this Hebrew word, chabar. Can you guys try that one? Chabar. And then apologize to your neighbor for spitting on them. Chabar. Literally, it means allied, one you're allied with, united to, or joined together. It's being tied in a what? In a knot. These are not just Facebook friends. You guys follow that? Yeah? These are not just Twitter followers or Snapchat friends, whatever. These are people that your lives are intertwined with. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they'd become not just acquaintances, but they'd become knotted up together. Yeah, that that speaks about a, a kind of companionship that is very real. They're not just on the same journey. They share they shared an identity. They shared an experience. You know, they, they were in Jerusalem. Now they're in Babylon. They, they shared also values and they shared purpose. I mean, we see that a little bit more in detail in Daniel chapter 1, which is what we'll look at next week. But I want us to see this, that their relationship was not just that they enjoyed each other's company or that they had funny names and stuff. No, no, no. They, they had wound their lives together in such a way that they were truly knotted together. You guys know the difference between acquaintances and chabar companions? Yeah? When you think about the people in your life, you think about the people that you share life with, hopefully we can all think of people that, that we are nodded to, you know, that we are grounded almost in. And I just love this imagery of, of the knots, um, I mean, knots are things that, that we kind of see every day, whether we know it or not. I mean, you might be wearing some knots right now somewhere along the line, right? Uh, knots are things that we use to, to secure things, to fasten things, to make sure things don't slip or let go. And when we use this imagery and import that to our friendships, friendships are the same way. Friendships actually keep us strong, keep us held together. Not just the acquaintance type of friendship, the superficial, but the chavar companionship. And I believe that the key factor in Daniel's faithfulness was his intentionality, his willingness to not just have acquaintances, people that he was diplomatic with, people that he always said the right thing around, but people that he was knotted up with. A key factor in Daniel's faithfulness was that he had friends who were like knots in his life. Not slip knots, <laughs> but the kinds of knots that hold you together. And let's admit this, you know, I mean, when we talk about living faithfully, you know, the exercise of faith in our lives, the choice to live faithfully is an individual matter, right? No one can make that choice for me. No one can make the choice for me to believe in Jesus. No one can make the choice for me to obey Jesus, to live faithfully to Jesus. No. But we can admit this. 
that the ability to sustain our faith in Jesus, the ability to keep pressing on in faithfulness to Jesus is definitely influenced by the people around me. Do you follow that? Yeah? And, and I would say this, for better or for worse, right? Right? I mean, like, the people around me can either encourage me to keep living faithfully or they can discourage me to keep living faithfully. And this is where it gets a little bit tricky because we can have friends that are nodded to us but are pulling in the wrong direction. Hmm. Man. The key thing is <clears throat> how, you know, how discerning are we? Can, can we actually tell when we've got those, uh, those friends that are pulling in the wrong direction? Um, you know, the other day I was actually looking up on YouTube a video of how to transplant a tree. I don't know if anybody has any experience with that. But uh, we have it. For those of you who know, we just moved into a home a few months ago. It has an unfinished backyard. And so we've been just kind of playing with ideas and stuff. What are we going to do here? How, where are we going to plant a tree and things like that? Just so happens that right next to us, there's an empty lot. Actually, there was a foundation that was never built on. But it's just growing weeds and stuff. But there happens to be a tree growing in the foundation. And so we asked the builder supervisor. He said, hey, when you start building, can we just take the tree? And, and move it? I mean, it's a pretty nice tree. It had really nice yellow leaves in the fall and stuff. But anyways, and so I was looking up how to actually transplant a tree from one environment to another. And it, man, as I was watching this guy, this bearded uh, farmer dude on YouTube, just kind of explaining all the different things, you know, pruning the trees up here, but also cutting out roots carefully down here and stuff. I learned a lot about how to remain stable in an environment that is new or foreign. Um, and man, yeah, I'll, I'll give you a link to it. You can just kind of uh, watch it yourself. But one thing I learned is that when you actually transplant the tree to its new soil, um, I mean, a lot of different interesting things. Like you actually have to orient it the same way that it was facing in its, its first plot, right? Because it's, it's used to receiving the sunlight in a certain way. But one of the interesting last steps after like filling in the dirt and things like that, one of the last steps was to stake it to the ground, you know, to, to uh, wrap rope or string around it um, and tie a knot, you know, and then stake it to the ground from all sorts of different directions so that when the winds would blow, whatever prevailing winds, whatever directions and stuff, the winds wouldn't um, overcome the strength of the roots that were still growing. You, you follow the imagery? Sorry, I didn't have the YouTube video up here. But um, you get this idea that, okay, okay, so in order for a, a tree in, an un, or in a foreign environment, in order for that to keep growing strong roots, it needs outside support. It needs stakes in the ground who will hold it up when the winds blow against it. I really believe that Kabar companions are like stakes in the ground who can hold you up when still maybe you're developing roots for yourself. Um, and again, like we said, sometimes those stakes in the ground can be pulling in the wrong direction. How do you know? How, how can you tell? I think the key thing is answering this simple question. The people that you're knotted up to, the people that you share life with the most, are they knotted up with God? I think that's a big, a big question. Are they connected to God? Are they loyal to him? Are they knotted to him first and foremost, I should say? If so, I would submit they're the kinds of friends who can pull you in the right direction. 
And if we're that way, we can be the kinds of friends who are stakes in the ground for someone else, right? So the key thing here when it comes to faithful living is that faithful living is strengthened by friends who are full of faith. Faithful living is strengthened by friends who are full of faith. Is it completely dependent upon them? No, no. But it sure is strengthened by them. Maybe you've seen this to be true in your life, or maybe you're wanting this to be true in your life. Um, How did it play out for Daniel? What was Daniel able to do with the friends that he had in his life, the companions, the Kabar companions that he found himself when he was in a tight situation? What was Daniel able to do with his friends? I mean, you see it there in Daniel 2. We already read it. It says in verse 17, Then Daniel went to his house, and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. Okay. So when trouble came, Daniel was able to talk to his friends about it. That's cool. We all do that. But notice what else. Verse 18. That they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret. In other words, he didn't just talk to his Kabar companions about it. He prayed with them about it. They're able to pray together. They're able to seek mercies from God together. Friends, these are, the, these are the kinds of companions that kept Daniel faithful as a young person. And when he came to them with problems, they didn't just hash it out and play, you know, like counselor with one another. They didn't uh, ask Siri, hey, what, what do we do in this situation? They didn't just post it on Facebook and wait for other people's comments. No, they prayed. They prayed. I don't know if we we really take this um, for granted or if we actually take this and put this into practice. Friends that we have, I don't know. I mean, you you look at Nebuchadnezzar. Um, Nebuchadnezzar, when he had his troubled night of sleep, he turned to other people too, right? He turned to other people too, but they were not. They were not connected to God. And how did that turn out for him? Pretty horrible, right? (laughs) He basically fell to pieces. He didn't really have much hope after that. But for these guys, they prayed together. They brought their problems to God together. I was reading this actually this morning in my devotion um, from a book called Prophets and Kings. And it was talking specifically about Daniel 2. It says this, Together they sought for wisdom from the source of light and knowledge. Speaking about Daniel and his three friends. Together they sought for wisdom from the source of light and knowledge. Their faith was strong in the consciousness that God had placed them where they were, that they were doing his work and meeting the demands of duty. That's pretty cool. I mean, because they could have responded in that moment, God, why did you bring us here? You know? But no, no. They were, they were, their faith was strong in the sense that, no, God did bring us here. We're being faithful to him right where we are. We're doing what he wants us to do. So they, they buoyed each other's spirits. They buoyed each other's confidence that God is still leading, even though this circumstance does not look like it. Man, do you have friends like that? Please, if you don't, find them and make them. To have friends who, have, who don't just like commiserate around you and say, oh man, this is horrible. You should get out. You know? To have friends who say, wait, wait, wait. God brought you here. Okay, this may not be working out, but God is still working out. A Let's go find it. Let's pray about that. These were the kinds of companions that Daniel had. Notice this, in times of perplexity and danger, 
They had always turned, I love it, they had always turned to him for guidance and protection, and he had proved an ever-present help. I love it. I love it. They prayed together. They brought their problems together. Why? Because they had done it in the past, and he's going to do it again. (laughs) God is faithful, and so they were faithful. There's hope and strength found in those kinds of companions. There's hope and strength found in those kinds of companions. And again, Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't have that hope and strength. And I would just simply say, you know, we we see the experience of Daniel, we see the experience of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, When it comes to our decisions today and how we kind of put this into practice today, uh, I would encourage you, don't allow your story to be Nebuchadnezzar's story. Instead, be intentional like Daniel was. To find people that you can share life with, that you can knot your lives together with, who actually take problems with you in prayer. These are the kinds of Kabar companions that God wants us to find for ourselves. And I would submit that these are the kinds of Kabar companions that God is calling us to be for someone else. Are we following that today? Yeah. I know this has very little to do with Thanksgiving and stuff, but um, I, I tell you, like, when I sit around circles with my, uh, with my kids or with groups of young people and we ask, hey, what are you thankful for? Um, a lot of the common things that will be said are, I'm thankful for friends. I'm thankful for family. And we ought to be, right? Because relationships are so high on the priority. They're, they're, it's, relationships are the stuff of life. But when the relationships in our lives are knotted in a different direction, we've got to be careful. We need to pray for the discernment to build those kinds of relationships that will grow us in the right direction. And Proverbs 27, verse 17 is a verse that um, took on new meaning to me when I was in high school. Um, it says, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Uh, <clears throat> You know, personally, I, I kind of grew up as a, a shy kid. Um, not that I didn't have friends, but I didn't really, like, extend myself to make friends. Or, um, uh, Anyways, I, I don't need to get into my whole life history and stuff. But what I'll say is this, that by the time I got into high school, um, and God was just kind of growing me, and uh, growing me spiritually, I would say this. When I was a senior in high school, maybe some of you guys know who Steve Hamilton is. Steve Hamilton, he's the youth director for the Rocky Mountain Conference. He lives actually in Franktown, not too far from here. He's come to church here a few times with his family. Uh, Steve was actually um, uh, probably 20, 21 years old when I first met him because I was a senior in high school, and he moved to my church as the youth pastor. Uh, So Steve was my youth pastor my senior year in high school, and on Wednesday nights, he opened up his house for a Wednesday night Bible study I went there pretty much every Wednesday night, and so did this other guy named Andrew Uyama. Um, he was my Japanese-American friend who really was a ninja. He was pretty awesome. Anyways, but uh, he and I went to this Wednesday night Bible study. He actually didn't live in the town that I did. He, he lived about an hour drive away, but he would come every Wednesday night because he was just really wanting to grow his relationship with God. Um, at the same time, uh, he and I were kind of uh, taking spiritual interest, um, you know, really wanting to understand the Bible. And I remember, man, when he would come, when we would have conversations, it was like, man, just this whole dynamic of iron sharpening iron. 
um, he would share verses that he was memorizing. And I'm like, man, he's memorizing verses. I need to memorize. And so I would come back the next week with different verses and stuff. And it was just like we were spurring each other on, spurring each other on. And for me, that was when um, spiritual friendships really became very concrete and very real. I remember that because, um, well, a lot, of the, a lot of the ways that I grew spiritually, like the things that I would say that are my spiritual foundation now were developed as a result or directly related to those conversations in my time there in that home. And the principle behind it is simply this. I don't know, maybe you've heard it said that by beholding, we become changed. Have you heard that before? By beholding, we become changed. Um, in other words, the, the company that you keep really influences you. The things that you kind of spend a lot of time with, the people that you spend a lot of time around, that's what you become like. You start telling the same jokes. You start laughing the same way. Um, you start behaving the same way, even dressing the same way. <laughs> and I, I, I really, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to speak directly to our young people here today. Um, and I, I want to ask you today, who is the company that you're beholding? In the lives that you share time with, uh, even the faces that I can't see back there, Justin, Joshua, um, the people that you're knotted with, the lives that you're connected to, who are you beholding? Um, don't kid yourself that you're not becoming changed. Um, and I want to give you permission as a young person to be selective about your friends. Okay? I don't know what kinds of environments you're in, public school environments, private school environments, whatever environments, maybe they're not even by choice, but I would encourage you to knot yourself up with lives that will make you sharper. Yeah? And again, this isn't just for, you know, young people. I mean, we have these choices every day. I mean, sometimes, okay, we don't get to choose our coworkers all the time. We don't get to choose our neighbors all the time. But we do get to choose how, how selective we are with the time investment, you know, with, with the, the way that we allow others to influence us. And again, I would just encourage you to be mindful of that principle that by beholding, we become changed. Ask yourself the question, are these the kind of people that I want to imitate? You know, are these the kinds of people I want to start talking like, making jokes like? Um, And now I, I, I will say this, that this doesn't negate the desire to be around people that you want to influence yourself. Like, this doesn't negate the, the mission of building friends for Christ or growing friendships that are evangelistically minded. You know, you know what I mean? Like friendship evangelism. I would just say this, that when you do that, when you engage friendships um, with that intent in mind, we've got to practice discernment. I heard it once said that, you know, like if you were just to imagine, like if I were to call Derek over here and, uh, Derek, come, come on, come on. Come on. <laughs> All right. All right, Derek's going to stand on this chair for me. He has no idea that I'm asking him to do this. Can you stand on this chair for me? All right. Now, if we're just kind of imagining spiritual maturity, right? Who's going to have an easier time bringing to their level? Derek or me? Right. Do you follow that? You're not even trying. No, (laughs) thank you. Thank you for that visual. But yeah, that's the reality. The person that's on higher ground has to exert more effort to bring him or her up to his level. Do you follow? Yeah. 
It doesn't mean that it's impossible, but it tells you of the tenuous position that, you're, you're, that, we, that we are in as missionaries, so to speak, as people who are wanting to influence those around us. When we're engaged in friendship evangelism, it's easier to be pulled down than it is to be pulled up, which means that if we're going to pull others up, we've got to be solidly knotted up with Jesus Christ. Are we following that today? Yeah? And so when it comes to, um, to choosing our friends, I'm giving you permission be selective. <laughs> be selective about the people you spend time with. Um, hopefully, you know, you can think of individuals who are Kabar companions in your lives. Or you can think of people that could be Kabar companions. Maybe they don't even know that you want to engage in that kind of relationship. Maybe they don't even know that you want them to pray for you or you want them to keep you accountable to your spiritual goals. But I tell you, there's so, there, there is a thing called positive peer pressure, and it's a good thing. It is a very good thing. Um, I remember <clears throat> being in the seminary uh, just a few years back, and there was a friend of mine, uh, Zach, who, like, I don't know, we, he was one of those guys who was just a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, so to speak. He was someone that I could share, hey, this is, this is an area in my life that I don't feel great about, and I want to outgrow, I want to overcome. Like, he was someone I could be very honest with about, and he could be honest in the same way with me. And we'd be able to pray with each other. We wouldn't just, like, try to solve each other's problems. We would pray with each other. And uh, knowing that he knew... And that knowing that I would, you know, engage and just kind of report back to him every now and then, um, that, that spurred me on. That spurred me on. Um, it, it, made, it, <clears throat> it made my spiritual goals more concrete. It made progress and growth more real. Positive peer pressure is a, is a positive thing. <laughs> and so when it comes to this idea of kabar companions, iron sharpening iron, I guess the simple question is, if we want to be faithful, you know, like we were talking about, faithful living is strengthened by friends who are full of faith. If we want to live faithfully in a foreign land, examine the friend factor. Examine the friend factor. In your life, take assessment. Take assessment of the friends in your life, the people that have the most knots in your life. And these, these don't have to necessarily be peers, these can be family members. These can be people of different generations, people that are in your life, that have investment in your life, that are somehow knotted into and intertwined in your life. If I want to live faithfully like Daniel, I need to cultivate friendships like Daniel. That's the bottom line. So who is my Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Or who am I a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego too? Who are my Kambara companions? Who am I nodded to? And are they nodded to Jesus as their first loyalty? Ask yourself, am I going to be that kind of Kambara companion too? To be honest, some of us may actually need to undo some knots. You know, we're taking assessment of this and we're realizing, okay, there are influences in my life that ought to be unraveled. And for you to come to that awareness is huge. To you to actually, for you to actually do something about that is even bigger. Because that sometimes hurts. That sometimes is misunderstood. Um, but maybe, maybe some of us need to form some new knots. If you feel like there are friends in your life who would laugh at you if you asked them to pray together about your problems, 
If you feel like there are individuals in your life who would, um, who would almost refuse you if you were to suggest seeking counsel in God's word about certain things, I would suggest that these are not the kinds of companions that are going to knot you up to Jesus. These are more like slip knots on the downside of the, the chair-pulling um, example. Some of us may be blessed with Kabar companions already. Um, praise the Lord for that. Some of you may feel like you are to your heart's content <laughs> uh, with the friends in your life, that there are friends who are positive influences, who are pushing you and pulling you in the right direction, and, and you should praise the Lord for that. And I would just encourage you, if that's you today, if you feel blessed with Kabar companions in your life, I would encourage you to consider how you can enlarge your circle to include one more and to actually make a Kabar companion. Um, Some of us don't have that privilege. Some of us don't have that. And there may be people around us right under our noses who are looking for that and just may not have what it takes to actually ask or initiate for those kinds of friendships. So, simple question. How do we then form new knots? If you're wanting to form new knots because you need a new stake in your life, or if you're wanting to form new knots because you feel like you're being called to be a stake in somebody else's life, what, what can we do? First thing, I would suggest this. I'll just, I'll just give four simple steps. Number one, first, check your own loyalties, okay? First is a self-examination. Check your own loyalties. Do I really want to live only for Jesus and completely be faithful to him alone? Because if we, if we don't pass that first check, then, then building stakes, growing knots, that's just going to unravel people's lives. So don't do it, okay? First, check your own loyalties. Do I want to live faithfully for Jesus alone? Second one is pray for Kabar companions. Actually ask God to lead you to individuals. Actually ask God to, to lead you in your relationships. I don't know if this has become a habit for you, but relationships are God's thing. Did you know that? <laughs> Relationships are God's. From the very beginning, you think about it, Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, God was the one who brought people together. And it's only when people come together outside of God's doing that, that trouble happens. Um, so even with not just romantic relationships, not just you know, um, marriage relationships and things, but even just with friend relationships, ask God to guide you to lead you to people that you can be knotted up with. Ask God to lead you to people that, that um, maybe you've known, but you didn't know that they could be a spiritual influence in, in their life or your life. So pray. So first one, check your own loyalties. Number two, pray for Kabar companions. Number three, look around you. <laughs> look around you. We're here, small community of faith, but I tell you what, man, when we look around, this is like one of the most caring communities that I've ever been a part of. Um, and I'm not just saying that just because it's being recorded. I'm not just saying that because you're here and, you, you know, you're, you're going to feed me later. No, I'm kidding. Um, I'm not just saying that. This is for real. Like, I have felt genuine love here. Um, I could go on and on and get all weepy about how lonely it was for the last year before. Um, anyways. Yeah, moving from California, not feeling like we had any sort of home. But I just want to thank you for being my home. If you haven't found a home here, there are loving people right around you. So one, check your loyalties. Two, pray for companions. Three, look right around you. And number four, oh, I guess, yeah, and number four, 
is more of a um, it's more of a it's, it's a it's a nuance, I guess, to a different situation. It's for those of you who already have friends, and they're you're just not even sure. Like you're already knotted up, you're already here in church, you're already in the same small group, but you haven't really been encouraging each other. Just be intentional. Talk to each other. Say, hey, hey, I, I want to pray together. Would you pray for me about this? Get honest about your spiritual goals with each other and, and give each other accountability. No need to be ashamed or embarrassed that they're truly your Kabar companions. So very simple. I know it's, uh, we just kind of glossed through Daniel chapter 2, but I want to encourage you today to not take this for granted. The relationships in your lives can make or break your spiritual walk with Jesus. So how intentional are you? about those relationships. That's a simple appeal today. Be intentional about it. Let your faithful living be strengthened by friends who are full of faith. I don't know, maybe there's someone today who's wanting to pray for friends that can do that for you. Um, I don't know your, everybody's, everyone's individual situation. Um, maybe, maybe you're feeling kind of tapped out with your friend capacity. I don't know. I was playing with a lot of Legos over, over the last week with my kids. And, uh, you know, some, some connectors, they've only got, like, two little dots for connecting. Some are, like, 19. <laughs> I don't know how many. Some of us have the capacity to connect with a lot of people. Some of us have the capacity just to have only a few. And so, whatever the case, I, maybe you want to pray for the capacity to connect more deeply with people. Um, whatever that is, I want to just come together in prayer about that. And the simple appeal is this. Let us live faithfully by finding faithful friends. Can we do that today? Yeah? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, um, I thank you so much that you've given us the example of Daniel. A lot of different things that we can pick up on. A lot of different nuances. Things that we've seen before and maybe things that um, maybe we've taken for granted. And Lord, right now, I want to pray specifically for companions. Lord, I thank you personally for the companions that you've blessed me with along my spiritual journey. I don't know if I could really give accurate um, articulation or even personally estimate um, the kind of influence that godly people have had in my life at the right time. And Lord, I want to pray for each one of us here. Um, I don't know what kind of spiritual journey or the, the momentum or lack of momentum we're experiencing spiritually. But I ask God that you would provide the blessing of spiritual friends, companions, kabar companions that we can be knotted up with. Lord, I pray for those here who, um, who maybe are in environments where all those that they are sharing life with are far from you, <clears throat> where it seems like they're the only ones who have any inkling that you are the God who loves and lives. Lord, please surround that individual with godly friends today. Maybe it won't happen in an instant, but day by day, week by week, I pray that you would just bring about divine appointments, bring people in their lives that can buoy them up 
and spur them heavenward. Lord, I want to pray specifically for our young people. And I ask God, especially in these earlier years, I think Daniel and his friends were probably still teenagers at this time. And, and Lord, I ask specifically a prayer for our young people today that you would give them the kinds of relationships that would lead them heavenward, that would tie them to your throne of grace. And Father, I ask that our young people would be those kinds of not tires too, that they would lead others to stay connected and stay faithful to Jesus. Lord, I pray for parents here, and I ask that you would um, gift us with the ability to tie these kinds of knots with our kids. I pray, Lord, uh, for the ability to, to develop these kinds of inner relationships with one another as a church family. Lord, as you bring others to our community of faith, may they find not just a, um, you know, an established culture where they're on the outside looking in, but may they find people who are warm and who have the capacity to love well, who have the capacity to, to build friendships for eternity. Lord, make us that kind of community. Thank you so much, Father, that these are desires of your heart. And so we're simply just praying that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.